What is a billion? What is a trillion? Those of you with an intuitive sense of math may have a fairly good sense of what those numbers really mean and how they relate to each other. For the rest of us, certainly including myself, the scale of numbers at that level can be difficult to comprehend. Another way of talking about a billion is that it is 1,000 million. Another way of talking about a trillion is that it is a one million million. Does that clear it up, or is your brain just starting to fog a little? The reason I'm asking you to think about math on a rainy Sunday morning uh, is that about a month ago, headlines around the world announced that Apple had become the first publicly traded American company to be worth more than $1 trillion dollars. Earlier this week, the news broke that Amazon had also passed the $1 trillion mark. You should have received a two-sided handout in your order of service with uh, three graphs on it. If you turn to the side that has one graph consisting of a bunch of squiggly lines, you can see the comparative net worth of these two companies as well as some of their competitors and how their relative worth has changed over recent decades. Part of what passing the $1 trillion mark means is that Amazon's founder and chief executive, um, Jeff Bezos, is worth nearly as much as Bill Gates and Warren Buffett put together. That whole trillion thing, it really matters. One million million. In a poignant headline, the New York Times noted that compared to Apple's $1 trillion valuation, add Disney to Bank of America and you're halfway there. Add Disney to Bank of America and you're halfway there. Most of us don't think of Disney and Bank of America as small potatoes, but there you go. I'll give you five more quick points of comparison to help you try to appreciate the scale of what we're talking about. If you combine Macy's, 11 billion, Ralph Lauren, 10 billion, and Harley Davidson, 7 billion, that is 3% of Apple's net worth. You would need to add another 108 of the other smallest companies on the S&P 500, Under Armour, Kohl's, Xerox, Western Union, Whirlpool, and 103 other companies to get close to $1 trillion. Both Apple and Amazon are now both independently worth nearly as much as the big four American banks combined. Bank of America, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo, together those four are $1.1 trillion. One trillion is more than every single major automotive maker in the world combined. Together, they are $964 billion. One trillion dollars is nearly as much as most of the world's airlines and aviation companies combined. Finally, one trillion dollars is more than the entire American media industry, including Netflix, Comcast, Disney, and all the major news publishers and TV channels. That all together is only only $848 billion. 
As a side note, keep an eye out for Apple to take some of that $1 trillion and very quickly form its own media empire to provide content for its devices. It's coming to be a competitor with Netflix in in our cable-cutting world. In the spirit of full disclosure, I'll confess that my first reaction to the news that Apple was worth $1 trillion was to be impressed. Uh, It's a mind-boggling accomplishment, especially considering that two decades ago, Apple was nearly bankrupt. But as I dove deeper into the news coverage, I found myself, at least personally, sickened by two angles. First, so many people asking, what is Apple going to do now to continue to grow? And second, investors debating whether it would be Apple or Amazon most likely to reach $2 trillion first. Probably Amazon, separate sermon. Uh, with, our, um, with our current system, there are some people, large numbers of them in our country and in our world, that there's just never enough. There is this relentless demand to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, to do more and more and more. There's never just enough. A trillion dollars. Enough. I don't know. Now, don't get me wrong. When I consider huge corporations like on your handout, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, I I can understand why they earn a lot of money. All of these companies regularly make my life easier in multiple ways. But as a society, we need to confront the ways that our democracy is being undermined as wealth and power are consolidated in the hands of too few people. And while there's always been a disparity of some groups and people having more than others, the gap is growing disturbingly large. Consider that in 1975, 109 companies collected half of the profits um, produced by all publicly traded companies. 109 companies got half. Today, those same winnings of half are collected by 30 companies. So instead of 109 companies, just 30 companies have half. And a lot of those companies also have far fewer employees. That's another thing. Like, you know, can think of how many employees Facebook or Google employs compared to, like, GM at its height. An additional part of where the record profits are coming from is that the difference between how much it costs American companies to make their products and how much they sell those products for is at its highest level since at least 1950. So these companies don't actually have to charge us as much as they're charging us, but high prices mean more um, money for their stockholders. Now, having spent some time exploring the lofty heights of these trillion-dollar megacorporations, I will ask you to descend with me to the lowly realms of the mere billionaires. In the same way that we sought to wrap our mind around a trillion, let's try to do the same for a billion. If a magical genie were to grant you a wish to receive a dollar each second, does that sound like a pretty good deal? It would take you a mere 11.4 days to become a millionaire. Thanks, Jeannie, right? But it would take you, at that same rate of a dollar per second, it would take you almost 32 years to become a billionaire. 11 days versus 32 years. Or suppose a rich relative died and generously left you either $1 million or $1 billion. 
one billion dollars, right? So uh, it would take you less than three, uh, and you decide to celebrate by spending a thousand dollars every day. I don't know if you could handle that budget, but a thousand dollars a day. It would take you less than three years to spend a million dollars at the rate of a thousand dollars a day. In contrast, it would take twenty-seven hundred years to blow your inheritance. In the case of a billion dollars. Three years versus 2,700 years. As you can see, it really matters that some of these mega corporations are passing the trillion dollar level. But I don't want to play down the billion dollar level either. It's only small potatoes in, in, in contrast to a trillion. It's, a billion still matters as well. There's slightly less than 1,500 billionaires in the world. Setting aside the trillion-dollar megacorporations, the existence of 1,500 billionaires still means that a super-tiny group of individuals and their families control just those 1,500 people, 2% of world wealth. To put it differently, these billionaires own twice as much wealth as all of Africa. As some of you have surmised, this is my annual Sharpen Your Pitchforks sermon. But allow me to be clear, I'm not advocating for extreme egalitarianism. I, at least for myself, don't think that fairness means everyone being equal. But I am advocating against the other end of the spectrum, which is extreme inequality. Consider the second of the three graphs on your handout, the one at the top of the page labeled income inequality in the United States. It's the one with that kind of X formation line graph. It's one of the most stark depictions I've seen of a system, of our system, that allows the rich to get richer at the exclusion of everyone else. Part of the data behind this chart is that in our country, income grew 61% from 1980 to 2014. But the bottom 50% was shut off from that. So the pie grew by 61%, but the bottom 50% didn't get anything. And what you see most explicitly from the exformation of this chart is that the rise of the top 1% mirrors the fall of the bottom 50%. I started paying more attention to inequality after the publication of the economist um, Thomas Piketty, right? He's French. His uh, 2013 book, Capital in the 21st Century. And I was interested this year to discover that Piketty, along with four other economists, had published a follow-up book through Harvard University Press titled World Inequality Report 2018. Here are some of the highlights of what they are discovering. One of the most important points is that income inequality has increased in nearly all regions of the world in recent decades, but at different speeds. That finding is significant not only because of how widespread the problem of inequality is, but also because economists can extrapolate from these different speeds of inequality about what are the policies and practices that increase inequality and what you know, puts the brakes on it. Of particular interest is the difference between the United States and Europe. Those two regions had similar levels of inequality in 1980, but today we are in radically different situations. While the top 1% of income share was close to 10% in both regions in 1980, it rose 2% to 12% total in 2016 in Western Europe, while it doubled to 20% in the United States. Meanwhile, in the U.S., here the bottom 50% decreased 
from more than 20% in 1980 to 13%. So again, you see where we're, where we're borrowing from and what we're giving to. And while those trends alone are troubling, it will be much worse if these same trends just keep continuing. As the saying goes, one definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Here's another similar uh, data point. In the U.S. today, the bottom 90%, a group of almost 145 million families who possess approximately $94,000 on average, collectively own as much of the total household wealth, about 20%, as the top 161,000 families. So we've got, you know, 145 million having the same amount as, you know, 161,000. Uh, that are included in the top 0.1%. Their average wealth, instead of being um, 94,000, is 82 million, is their average wealth. 845 times larger than the bottom 90%. That's the gap. It's not that it's bad to have some having more than others. It's that huge gap of 845 times more. Uh, The top 0.1% is also about as large an income share as the top 1%. So it's not even a, like, we are the 99% and the 1%. It's also that extreme wealth of the 0.1%. We are in the extreme disparity of a new gilded age. The good news is we've actually had this problem before. A lot of the problems we're seeing in our country, we also saw them in the 1890s, in the early 20th century. And so we actually can learn from the past here. Some of you may know the saying that the past doesn't always repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. So the Roaring Twenties saw a huge rise in wealth concentration, but the impact of the Great Depression and then the New Deal policies implemented under Franklin Roosevelt's presidency quickly saw this trend reversed. And then we got the growth of the 50s and on that then started to be reversed in the 80s. So what might we do if we and our elected officials were to find the political will to make a change? The short answer is to follow the policies and practices that have been historically shown to decrease wealth inequality in various parts of the world. For a visualization, see our third and final graph at the bottom of the page titled Tackling Wealth Inequality. You'll see three different scenarios of how our future might go. Are we going to keep increasing wealth inequality? Are we going to decrease it a little bit? Are we going to decrease it a little more? If we want to enact scenario three, in which we begin to really try to close the wealth gap, again, not moving to equality, but closing the gap, then three of the proven tools at our disposal that have been the three most effective are, one, a progressive tax system that charges a higher percentage of one's income as your income increases. Recently, our tax system has been moving in the opposite direction. It's been regressing, which is just exacerbating income inequality. Um, I have a lot more to say about that. I'm just going to have to stop myself. (laughs) And uh, number two uh, is a global financial register. And this is one of the most important points. Um, Recording the ownership of financial assets and having that be transparent, that would deal severe blows to tax evasion, to money laundering, to rising inequality. And these economists actually have a pretty good plan to actually make this um, accessible. This will make more sense to the financial nerds among us. But it is to use the already existing system of central security depositories. I will not go into detail, but you can read all about it in World Inequality Report 2018, available to you wherever books are sold. 
number three, governments need to be adequately funded to invest in education, in health, and in environmental protection. This is some of what you've heard me talk about that uh, economists talk about a triple bottom line of people, planet, profit. That profit is still in there. Profit motive continues to be real. Everyone doesn't make the same amount. You get more based on what you work. But people and planet are in there too. So that your profits have to be tied to taking care of the planet, operating in a sustainable way, and to people, taking care of people, making sure everyone has a sturdy floor, making sure everyone has what they need, access to education, health care. So these may seem like lofty goals, but they're the sort of building blocks required if we're to have any hope of moving away from chaos and conflict and toward beloved community. In that spirit, I was interested to see that in addition to the news of megacorporations like Apple and Amazon surpassing a valuation of $1 trillion, there was a related headline this week that in response to Amazon buying Whole Foods, right? So Amazon Whole Foods, Amazon Washington Post, right? This is a whole thing. Uh, there's a renewed effort to get Whole Foods employees to unionize. It's impossible to predict whether that particular unionization effort will succeed. They'll be fighting an uphill battle, a very steep $1 trillion uphill battle. Uh, just as there's no guarantee that the struggle to reverse wealth inequality will succeed, you know, to secure a new New Deal, if you will. Uh, but what remains within our control is whether we sit back and just accept the current trajectory as on that chart of rising inequality or whether we will do everything. And if that happens, what that means is that we're all going to be the barbarians at the gate behind the, you know, the richest 1% behind these gated communities. Or whether we'll do everything within our power to build the world we dream about, what our UU6 principle calls the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice, not merely for some but for all. Peace, liberty, and justice doesn't require everyone to be the same, but it does require everyone to have a certain sturdy floor of, of access to health care and education, etc., so that we're at least in the same ballpark as one another, playing the same game.